So welcome again to Greenbelt Church. If you're new with us here, my name is Kevin. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor. We are in week three of our summer movie series at the movies. This is something that we do every year where we look at big, famous Hollywood movies and we find a biblical truth which is hidden in these movies to help us maybe understand the text a little bit more, help us to share the good news of Jesus in this world and in this culture that we live in. And for this summer, we're kicking it old school. We're using movies from the 1980s. You see, the 1980s um, is a decade that is known for a lot of things, right? It's known for big, poofy hair. It's known for poofy, baggy clothes and neon-colored clothing. It's also known when we saw a huge explosion in popular culture. Some of the biggest money-making movies of all time were made in the 1980s. Some of the best, most memorable TV shows were made in the 1980s. So much of the world opened up to us with new technology, things that seem like so everyday nowadays, but things like being able to carry your music with you and listening to your music anywhere that you go with something called a Walkman. And uh, so it was really a decade of innovation. It was a decade of the world opening up all around us. And we saw so many fun-loving, action-packed, great movies. But towards the end of the 1980s, we saw a shift in a lot of the movies that were being made because as the world was being opened up to us, we were reminded that the world um, was a hurting place, that the world had darkness in it, that the world had atrocities and evils that were happening all over the world. And so often we thought the problems were just over there in some other countries, you know, we, because we began to learn of things like the Cold War and the issues between the United States and Russia. We began to learn about the famine crisis in Africa. We began to learn about apartheid and, and people slaughtering whole people groups. The 80s was also a time when HIV and AIDS just kind of took the world by storm. And, and it was so confusing and so scary in many different Different ways. See, the world <laughs> was not as cute and as fuzzy and could just be summed up in a very simple little pop song from the 1980s. And so what I want to do today is I want to use a movie uh, that quite honestly is hard to watch. So me using this movie is um, not an endorsement of the movie for you and your family to watch it. Okay, this is something that every single family has to do on their own to determine what is appropriate for their family. Um, because this was a war movie called Glory. This movie starred Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman and Matthew Broderick and took place during the United States Civil War. Now, this movie was very hard to watch just from the battle scenes and, and the war scenes that were there. But in light of the year that we have gone through as, as a culture, 
as what we have seen in the news coming out of the United States with the murder of George Floyd, what we're seeing here in the news in Canada when it comes to the, the residential schools and the treating and the treatment of First Nations children. When you watch a movie like Glory through this lens, it becomes incredibly hard to deal with. Because even though now in 2021, we know we've made great strides since the American Civil War, we're reminded that there's still so much more work to do. So in this movie, as I said, it takes place during the Civil War. If you are not familiar with the American Civil War, let me just set that up for you just a little bit. This is not an American history class by any means. But the American Civil War was a war between the northern and the southern states of the United States of America. You see, there was a major tension that the United States had been going through, and it was the issue of slavery, what does the United States of America do with the issue of slavery? It was a major political issue for nearly 80 years. You see, when the United States was founded, they wrote in their constitution, they wrote these words. They wrote that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, these were written when this nation was founded, that all men are created equal, white, black, everyone was equal. But within their own nation, there was still slavery where men and women were not equal, where people were judged solely by the color of their skin. And it was a hot mess that eventually exploded into a full-scale war. And so in this movie, this movie Glory is based on the experiences of, of one fighting unit. In, in the Union Army. So this is the army that was fighting for the freedom of black slaves in the United States of America. And we learn the story of Captain Ronald, uh, sorry, Robert Gould Shaw. Now, uh, Captain Shaw is promoted to the rank of colonel, and he's given his, the, his command, and he's given a unit to command, and it is the very first all-black regiment. It's the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry. And this unit consisted of men who were born free in the north, as well as men who had escaped slavery from the south. And Colonel Shaw needs to work incredibly hard with this group of men who have very different experiences of what it means to be an American, whether it was freedom in the North or slavery in the South. And Colonel Shaw, as a white man, had to lead this unit and figure this out, figure out how to reconcile these men to one another, to figure out how to work together as a fighting unit. 
You see, throughout the film, we see this tension that these soldiers have being the first all black unit in the army. See, and it's kind of hard for us to get our brains around it, but the North, the Union Army, were fighting to end slavery. But even within that army, the army that is fighting to end slavery are still men there who were incredibly racist of the black men fighting alongside them. So even among themselves, dealing with this huge issue of racial reconciliation, there's fighting amongst themselves. You learned that uh, the, the men in Colonel Shaw's unit were not getting the proper equipment that they needed to train because the quartermaster was keeping that equipment for himself and saving it for the white soldiers. Wouldn't give them the uniforms that were required. We're not allowing them to have clean socks. We're not letting them get new shoes. And we're saving that for the white soldiers. They also, the government also made the, the decision that the black soldiers would be paid less than the white soldiers that were fighting in this unit. So even within the army that has the same goal to end slavery, there's a huge issue of reconciliation that needs to be figured out. You see, reconciliation is a very, very big word. And in the Christian faith, reconciliation is an incredible, important word. In fact, I want to give you the big idea right away. And then we're going to look at a bunch of different texts from the Bible talking about this idea of reconciliation. So the big idea that I want us to really, really, really implement into our hearts today is this. Is the church should be known as experts in reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God. You and I, as the church, as followers of Jesus, we should be experts in reconciliation because you and I have been reconciled to God. Now, maybe some of you are joining us here today and you're not 100% sure what the word reconciliation even means. So let me just give you a little bit of a working definition here today. So this is what reconciliation means. Reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relationships and peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. Ordinarily, it also includes the removal of the offense which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. Again, let me just repeat that very quickly. Restoration of friendly relationship and of peace, where before there was hostility and alienation. And ordinarily, it would also include the removal of the offense, which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. So let's look for a little bit on what the Bible actually teaches us about reconciliation. In the very beginning of your Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible and you want to follow along, I'm literally on page one. <laughs> Genesis chapter one, the very first page in your Bible, we learn that there is a God. And we learn that this God is the creator of heaven and of earth. And that God was outside of time. He's always existed. He's always been there. Nothing created God. 
And we see that God in Genesis chapter 1 goes about the creation account where he creates the heavens and the earth. And then we read about God creating humanity, where God creates humanity, male and female, that they are created in the image and the likeness of God. See, and what that means is of being created in the image and likeness of God, it means that humanity has a special place in creation. That even though humanity was tasked with the job of caring for creation, of caring for the environment, of caring for animals, we are actually above those things, not to lord it over them, but as image bearers of God. Humanity plays a special role. That's why I tell people all the time, I do not believe that you evolved from a monkey. I believe that you are special. I believe that you are special because you are created in the image and likeness of a holy, perfect, and loving God. So here we can read about God's creation of humanity in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to skip down here to verse uh, 26. So this is what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. These will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And then God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And then there was evening, and then there was morning, the sixth day. So here we have this account of God creating man in his image and in his likeness. And the relationship between God and humanity is perfect. See, God doesn't feel far. God doesn't feel distant. God doesn't feel like he doesn't hear our prayers at that time. Because humanity's relationship with God was perfect. That there was no hostility between humanity and God. There was no alienation between God and humanity. There was peace and harmony. But then our spiritual enemy, the devil, shows up into that perfect environment where he causes humanity to sin, where he causes Adam and Eve to sin against God and break that harmony. And we can read about that in Genesis chapter 3, starting down in verse 8. You know, so we read about the serpent, uh, sorry, at the beginning of chapter 3, tempts Eve, they tempts Adam, they eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God commanded them not to eat from it, and they do it. And then it says here in verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden on the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
And then he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And then the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's kind of typical. We put the blame on other people. We never own up to our own mistakes. <laughs> we got to blame somebody else. seems like there's something about human nature where we got to play the victim or it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault that I'm now in this condition, that I'm the victim here. Adam's playing the victim and he basically blames God for his position now of being disobedient, of putting this distance between him and God. And so this is what breaks that harmony. This is what breaks that peace that humanity had with God. It was sin. When sin came in the world, it separates humanity from God. Where before there was peace and harmony, now there is hostility and alienation. There's hostility of mankind towards God. Who are you, God, to say I can't? Who are you, God, to say I have to live such and such a way? Who are you, God? And then there's God in his holiness who must deal with sin. He must judge sin. That's the state of humanity when it comes to the topic of reconciliation. And again, the big idea that we're looking at today is that you and I should be known as experts because you and I have been reconciled to God. And what does that mean? See, you and I as fallen sinful people, that alienation, that hostility that exists between us and God was dealt with when Jesus died on the cross. You see, God had to, had to deal with sin. God just can't ignore sin because he's holy, he's perfect, he's all-loving, but he's also just. And so sin requires a punishment. And the Bible teaches us that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. The Bible also teaches us that without the spilling of blood, something that causes death, there can be no forgiveness of sin. But because God loves you so much, he doesn't require your blood to be spilled. He doesn't require your death. Out of his immense love for you, God died for you instead. You see, the Bible teaches us that God is a Trinity God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, kind of distinct, but one all at the same time. It's one of these great mysteries of the teachings of the Bible. It's one of these great mysteries about who God is. And it is the single difference between the Christian faith and every other faith in the world. See, Christians do not worship the same God as Muslims and as Jewish people. Christians do not worship the same God as any other religious organization or religious sect in the world because we believe in the Father who sent the Son and was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin. And God rose him from the dead in victory over sin and death. 
And the Bible teaches us that when you and I recognize that we have this bad relationship with God because of sin, when we recognize that the way we think, the way we act, the way we we behave, the way we treat people, the way we treat ourselves, all of these things are impacting our relationship with God. That's what alienates us from from him. When we turn from that sin and we say, God, forgive me, a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. When you pray a simple prayer just like that, the Bible then teaches us that we have become reconciled to God. You see that alienation that we had from God? is not there anymore because God, the Holy Spirit, comes into us in that moment and makes us new. That's when the Bible says you are born again. You're born again. You're made new. You're made a temple of the Most High God. Then it's, it, you know, the Bible says that, 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 that hostility between us and God is completely gone. In fact, the Bible teaches us that when you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus to save you of your sins, God sees your sin no more. You're not a dirty, rotten sinner. You are a saint. You are a beloved son and daughter. You are a child of God at that moment. That alienation and that hostility completely gone. We are restored to God in harmony and in peace. And you can receive that reconciliation right where you are today, just by praying that little prayer that I just prayed, just by saying, God, forgive me a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me today. God, I give you my heart. Come into me and make me new. If you pray that way, the Bible says you are now forgiven. If you do that today, whether in church or online, I would love if you click that little pop-up that shows up that says raise hand, fill out the little form that pops up afterwards so you can send me your email address because I'd love to connect with you. If you do that you know, live in our in-person service, that you've done that in your heart, come and tell me privately. I'm not going to show you off in front of everybody, but come talk to me after the service. I'd love to pray with you and celebrate with you for making that decision today. We are reconciled to God. And so because we have been reconciled to God, the church should be experts in reconciliation. The church should be experts in reconciliation. You see, in our movie, Colonel Shaw is an, uh, an, uh, he's against slavery. He, 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 he believes in it to the core of his being. He, he, some of his best friends growing up were both black and white. He believes in that constitution that his country made that all men are created equal. He believes that it's important to free families, men, women, and children who are still in the bondage of slavery in his own country. He makes it his mission to change the world around him. And as someone who believes this so passionately, then he kind of finds himself in situations where maybe he's not living like someone who believes what he believes there's an incredibly powerful scene in the movie where denzel washington's character a private trip um, sneaks away in the middle of the night and now trip was a former slave 
and he was very hostile towards um, the white leadership of the, of the army. He was very hostile towards the other black men who grew up in freedom. And he took off in the middle of the night, and so he was charged with going AWOL, absence without leave. And he, Colonel Shaw ordered him to be flogged, to be whipped. And as Tripp's shirt was removed to be beaten and whipped, Colonel Shaw saw all the scars on his back that he received as a slave. And then Colonel Shaw found himself in this position of going, I'm not treating this man any better than the slave owners are. I'm not treating this man who is created equal before God, just like I am. I'm treating him the same way that slavers treated him. And it wrecked him. And to be honest, it kind of wrecked me as I'm watching this scene play out. Because in the church, because we have been reconciled with God, the reason we should be experts in reconciliation is because we need to be reconciled to one another. You see, the church is the place where life gets really messy. Church is supposed to be the place where we're real with one another, where we're not fake. We don't just put on a Sunday mask. Well, we wear Sunday masks when we're in person right now, but we're not fake. We're not putting on this fake mask, pretending to be somebody that we're not, pretending our lives are all perfect and just living out our lives in complete secret. No, the church is supposed to be a place where we are figuring out reconciliation, like, and the sad reality is, is all throughout church history, we have seen again and again and again, really bad examples where we have not been reconciled to one another, where we do not treat each other very nicely, where we do not speak of one another very nicely. In fact, our words can sometimes be incredibly harmful and cutting to other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, in the church family. I think some of the most powerful scenes in this movie, Glory, was the 51st Regiment, the 54th Regiment, trying to learn to be a fighting unit, trying to learn to be on mission together, that they're not... They don't have different goals and different objectives as a unit. They've got one goal. They've got one objective to bring freedom to their country. But they were divided. They let their differences get in the way. Whites were still against blacks. Blacks were against blacks. There's this huge, large-scale goal that's going on around them of setting people free. But they just keep struggling with their own personal issues. But Jesus spoke exactly about that issue when it came to his followers. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to verse 24, Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall, not commit, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Here Jesus is referring to the Ten Commandments. He's referring to the teachings of Moses. You've heard it said, You're not supposed to kill each other. Then it continues in verse 22. But I tell you 
that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, that's a horrible, horrible word. It's basically saying, you're an idiot. You're a moron. You're despicable. I want nothing to do with you. When you say Raka, when you say that to another brother and sister, it says you are answerable to the courts. And anyone who says, you fool, you are in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus continues, he says, therefore, if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go to be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. See, because you and I have been reconciled before God, we need to be experts, experts at reconciling with one another. And it's hard. And it's messy. I mean, how often in your Christian life have you been mad at another Christian? How often in your Christian life have you spoken poorly about a pastor, about an elder, about a church leader, about a worship leader? How often have you on social media criticized and tore down another brother and sister in the Lord who are created in the image and likeness of God? I know I've done it. I know I've done it. And I've had to work hard to never do it again and to reconcile in the times I've done it. I've gone to my former senior pastor where the first church I served at where I was an associate pastor and I went to visit him and I gave this is several years after I'd, I'd left that ministry and I brought him a gift to him and his wife and I apologized to, to them for the way I acted while I served under his leadership and I asked if he would forgive me. It was not easy. It was not comfortable. See, reconciliation is hard and it's messy. And sadly, I think in the Western church that we live in today, it is way too easy to not reconcile. We can go to another church down the road. We don't like what that pastor said. I leave. I don't like what my small group leader did. I leave. I don't like what this person did. I leave. And because the people who are left behind are just so busy just doing whatever they do, we don't even notice when people leave. I've said this a lot over the last five years here in our church family. I pray for the day where Greenbelt Church is an incredibly hard place to leave because we value reconciliation over our comfort, that we value reconciliation over our ease because reconciliation is hard work. But if you actually trust in the power of God to accomplish it, then God will do amazing things in our relationship The church should be known as experts in reconciliation because we've been reconciled to God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We go through ministry together in order to reconcile, to live out the one another statements that the Bible teaches us about. Because you and I have a great mission to accomplish. And God needs us to be reconciled with one another so that we can be this amazing fighting unit that God wants to use in the world. 
the church needs to get better at reconciliation. The church needs to learn how to have difficult, awkward conversations. We have to learn to be humble. We have to learn to be teachable because God has got great things ahead for us. See, the 51st, the 54th Regiment had to learn to be a unit. They had to learn to be united. They had to learn to put aside their differences. They had to learn to put aside their prejudice because they were going on a much greater mission. Colonel Shaw learns about a major campaign that's going to take place, that they're going to try to secure a foothold in Charleston Harbor. And this will involve attacking a nearby fortress called Battery Wagner. And the fort's only landward approach is via a very small strip of beach with very little cover. And the first regiment that will storm that fortress will most likely suffer incredible, incredible loss. And Colonel Shaw volunteers to have the 54th lead that charge. And the men of the 54th, men who have personally experienced prejudice, personally experienced slavery, personally experienced judgment on them solely by the color of their skin, are eager to prove themselves in this battle. And the night before the battle, the men gather together. And you know what they do? They praise the Lord. They sing hymns of worship to their Savior, Jesus Christ. They share powerful testimony from the word of God. They, sh- they bear their hearts out to one another. They quote Psalms where though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. These men are willing to lay down their lives to see more people experience freedom. You see, the church needs to be known as experts in reconciliation because we've been reconciled to God. Therefore, we do the hard work in order to be reconciled with one another because we need to pursue reconciliation with those outside the church. The church's mission is a mission of reconciliation with those who are outside of the church. As the men of the 54th unit began their march at Battery Wagner, the other Union soldiers began to cheer for them. Even these men who were racist and prejudiced against them, these white men who didn't like them simply because they were black, were praising them and thanking them for their courage, thanking them for their willingness to lay down their lives. The Apostle Paul writes something very similar for you and for I, for us as the church. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's that reconciliation that you have with God of turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. You are a new creation. The old 
has gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who has no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, in our reconciliation with God, in the hard work of being reconciled to one another, God gives us the mission of reconciliation into the world. And this past year that we have watched on TV, this past year that some of us have personally experienced, whether through our families or through us directly, we have seen that there's a lot of work to be done when it comes to racial reconciliation. What started in this movie, Glory, was a great thing. In fact, when the 54th unit went out and stormed this fortress, more than 50% of the regiment lost their lives, including Colonel Shaw. And they were taken prisoner. And the Confederate Army had vowed that any black soldier who was captured would not be treated as a prisoner of war. If they wore a Union uniform, they'd be executed. And if they fought without the uniform, they'd be put back into slavery. Yet they laid down their lives for the freedom of others. And even though they didn't win the battle, their courage, their courage caused 180,000 other black men to sign up to fight in the Union Army. And Abraham Lincoln himself credits those men who died on that night as the tipping point that allowed the Union Army to win and bring an end to slavery in the United States. A great starting point, but still so much work to be done. See, I've come to believe that it's not government's mandate to see humanity reconciled. <laughs> it's not a political party's mandate to see humanity reconciled. I believe it's the mandate of the church. It's our job. It's our mission because we have been reconciled to God. The Bible teaches us that our sin made us an enemy of God. And because of God's love, <laughs> that we are no longer enemies. We're children of God. And because we are no longer enemies, we don't see people outside there as our enemy. We don't see people from different ethnic groups and different colors and different social backgrounds and different um, paychecks and pay scales and lifestyles. They're not the enemy. They're the prize. They're the people that Jesus died for. 
And it's the church's call to be ambassadors of Christ, to bring reconciliation to the world. No government's ever going to accomplish that, ever, because it's our job. What are we doing? How are we praying? How are we laying down our comforts and having awkward and difficult conversations? How are we standing in the gap and praying prayers of forgiveness um, for sins we may not have personally done. And I know that can be a challenge for us as a church. It's like, well, why should I ask for forgiveness? I didn't do anything. Why should I pray for forgiveness? I wasn't the one who did it. Well, you know what? We actually see many, 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 many examples in the Bible of people praying for the sin of other people who didn't commit the sin. It happens again and again. King David did it. Isaiah did it. Daniel did it. Jesus does it. That we stand in the gap. That's called the prayer of intercession. That we pray for forgiveness because of the sin of other people. Here in Canada, dealing with the residential schools, we need to seek God's forgiveness. That that's a part of the history of the church. We need to seek forgiveness from those who are still suffering from that. For families and friends who might still be suffering because of the murder of George Floyd, we need to reconcile there. We need to pray that God would move in his church in supernatural ways to see the church reconciled with one another. You know, there's no white church, no black church, no Hispanic church, no Chinese church. There's only the church. (laughs) It's the church. One bride of Christ, one family. So we got to roll up our sleeves and figure this out. The very final scene in the movie Glory shows a mass grave. And in the mass grave, Colonel Shaw is dumped into this mass grave, a man who believed to the core of his being on the importance of bringing freedom to his country. And then thrown right on top of him was Private Tripp, a man who was a slave, a man who struggled in following the commandments of his white colonel. And at the end of that battle, before Tripp died, he picked up that American flag and he continued the mission when he saw Colonel Shaw die. (laughs) Because the mission is bigger than all of us. The mission of seeing the world reconciled to God is bigger than all of us. So we lay down our lives for God's mission. We turn to God. Kind of application for this message, it's going to be different for every single one of us. First and foremost, ensure you are reconciled to God. I don't want you to just be some church person. I don't want you just to be someone who believes in God, who believes in Jesus or have heard of Jesus. I want you to be surrendered to God, surrendered to Jesus, turning from your sin and turning to Christ. That is how you earn, receive that reconciliation. And then when you do that, we have to do the hard work. And it's kind of nice that we can practice that in the context of the church of relationships, 
that we didn't do a good job with, and we just kind of ran from certain relationships, not wanting to have difficult conversations. We need to reconcile with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The church, our church, should be a very hard place to leave. We don't just let people disappear in the night because we're going to do the hard work to reconcile our relationship. And then as we reconcile with one another, then we get involved with the issues that the world is facing. You see, the world will know the love of God when they see reconciliation in us. When we can stand in the gap and ask for forgiveness, when we can pray prayers of repentance, when we can restore and build trust and come alongside people again, the world will notice that. So it's going to look different in all of our lives. But I think we will see incredible glory when we submit to God's plan of reconciliation in our church, in our nation, and in our world. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you. I thank you. And Lord, I praise you for just the way you've challenged me this past year to look beyond myself, to look beyond my understanding of the world and to see it through different eyes, to try as much as I can in my own humanity to see the world through your eyes. A world that is so much better today than it was several hundred years ago, but still a world that's hurting, still a world that is broken, still a world that needs the love of God and needs to know the love of God from the people of God. God, you've not sent us into the world to judge it and to condemn it and to keep it trapped in the bondage of slavery. You have called us to be ambassadors of Christ, to bring a message of reconciliation where they too can be set free. They can be set free from their pain, set free from their sin. They can be set free from their hurt. And we could be reconciled together as a new humanity under the banner of Jesus, under the lordship of God Almighty. All men, all women created equal because all of us are created in the image and likeness of a holy, righteous God. So God, give us patience, give us humility, give us a teachable heart to see your will to be done in our lives, in our church. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome again to Greenbelt Church. If you're new with us here, my name is Kevin. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor. We are in week three of our summer movie series, At the Movies. This is something that we do every year where we look at big, famous Hollywood movies, and we find a biblical truth which is hidden in these movies to help us maybe understand the text a little bit more, help us to share the good news of Jesus in this world and in this culture that we live in. And for this summer, we're kicking it old school. We're using movies from the 1980s. You see, the 1980s um, is a decade that is known for a lot of things. 
right? It's known for big, poofy hair. It's known for poofy, baggy clothes and neon-colored clothing. It's also known when we saw a huge explosion in popular culture. Some of the biggest money-making movies of all time were made in the 1980s. Some of the best, most memorable TV shows were made in the 1980s. So much of the world opened up to us with new technology, things that seem like so everyday nowadays, but things like being able to carry your music with you and listening to your music anywhere that you go with something called a Walkman. And uh, so it was really a decade of innovation. It was a decade of the world opening up all around us. And we saw... So many fun-loving, action-packed, great movies. But towards the end of the 1980s, we saw a shift in a lot of the movies that were being made because as the world was being opened up to us, we were reminded that the world um, was a hurting place that the world had darkness in it, that the world had atrocities and evils that were happening all over the world. And so often we thought the problems were just over there in some other countries, you know, because we began to learn of things like the Cold War and the issues between the United States and Russia. We began to learn about the famine crisis in Africa. We began to learn about apartheid and, and people slaughtering whole people groups. The 80s was also a time when HIV and AIDS just kind of took the world by storm. And and it was so confusing and so scary in many different ways. See, the world (laughs) was not as cute and as fuzzy and could just be summed up in a very simple little pop song from the 1980s. And so what I want to do today is I want to use a movie uh, that quite honestly... It is hard to watch. So me using this movie is um, not an endorsement of the movie for you and your family to watch it. Okay, this is something that every single family has to do on their own to determine what is appropriate for their family. Um, Because this was a war movie called Glory. This movie starred Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman and Matthew Broderick and took place during the United States Civil War. Now, this movie was very hard to watch just from the battle scenes and and the war scenes that were there. But in light of the year that we have gone through as, as a culture, as what we have seen in the news coming out of the United States with the murder of George Floyd, what we're seeing here in the news in Canada when it comes to the the residential schools and the treating and the treatment of First Nations children. When you watch a movie like Glory through this lens, it becomes incredibly hard to deal with. Because even though now in 2021, we know we've made great strides since the American Civil War, we're reminded that there's still so much more work to do. 
So in this movie, as I said, it takes place during the Civil War. If you are not familiar with the American Civil War, let me just set that up for you just a little bit. This is not an American history class by any means. But the American Civil War was a war between the northern and the southern states of the United States of America. You see, there was a major tension that the United States had been going through, and it was the issue of slavery. What does the United States of America do with the issue of slavery? It was a major political issue for nearly 80 years. You see, when the United States was founded, they wrote in their constitution, they wrote these words. They wrote that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, these were written when this nation was founded, that all men are created equal, white, black, everyone was equal. But within their own nation, there was still slavery where men and women were not equal, where people were judged solely by the color of their skin. And it was a hot mess that eventually exploded into a full-scale war. And so in this movie, this movie Glory is based on the experiences of, of one fighting unit. In, in the Union Army. So this is the army that was fighting for the freedom of black slaves in the United States of America. And we learn the story of Captain Ronald, uh, sorry, Robert Gould Shaw. Now, uh, Captain Shaw is promoted to the rank of colonel, and he's given his, the, his command, and he's given a unit to command, and it is the very first all-black regiment. It's the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry. And this unit consisted of men who were born free in the north, as well as men who had escaped slavery from the south. And Colonel Shaw needs to work incredibly hard with this group of men who have very different experiences of what it means to be an American, whether it was freedom in the North or slavery in the South. And Colonel Shaw, as a white man, had to lead this unit and figure this out, figure out how to reconcile these men to one another, to figure out how to work together as a fighting unit. You see, throughout the film, we see this tension that these soldiers have being the first all-black unit in the army. See, and it's kind of hard for us to get our brains around it, but the North, the Union Army, were fighting to end slavery. But even within that army, the army that is fighting to end slavery are still men there who were incredibly racist of the black men fighting alongside them. 
So even among themselves, dealing with this huge issue of racial reconciliation, there's fighting amongst themselves. You learned that uh, the, the men in Colonel Shaw's unit were not getting the proper equipment that they needed to train because the quartermaster was keeping that equipment for himself and saving it for the white soldiers. Wouldn't give them the uniforms that were required. We're not allowing them to have clean socks. We're not letting them get new shoes. And we're saving that for the white soldiers. They also, the government also made the, the decision that the black soldiers would be paid less than the white soldiers that were fighting in this unit. So even within the army that has the same goal to end slavery, there's a huge issue of reconciliation that needs to be figured out. You see, reconciliation is a very, very big word. And in the Christian faith, reconciliation is an incredible, important word. In fact, I want to give you the big idea right away. And then we're going to look at a bunch of different texts from the Bible talking about this idea of reconciliation. So the big idea that I want us to really, really, really implement into our hearts today is this. Is the church should be known as experts in reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God. You and I, as the church, as followers of Jesus, we should be experts in reconciliation because you and I have been reconciled to God. Now, maybe some of you are joining us here today and you're not 100% sure what the word reconciliation even means. So let me just give you a little bit of a working definition here today. So this is what reconciliation means. Reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relationships and peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. Ordinarily, it also includes the removal of the offense which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. Again, let me just repeat that very quickly. Restoration of friendly relationship and of peace, where before there was hostility and alienation. And ordinarily, it would also include the removal of the offense, which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. So let's look for a little bit on what the Bible actually teaches us about reconciliation. In the very beginning of your Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible and you want to follow along, I'm literally on page one. <laughs> Genesis chapter one, the very first page in your Bible, we learn that there is a God. And we learn that this God is the creator of heaven and of earth. And that God was outside of time. He's always existed. He's always been there. Nothing created God. And we see that God in Genesis chapter 1 goes about the creation account where he creates the heavens and the earth. And then we read about God creating humanity. Where God creates humanity, male and female. That they are created in the image and the likeness of God. See, and what that means is of being created in the image and likeness of God, it means that humanity has a special place in creation. That even though humanity was 
tasked with the job of caring for creation, of caring for the environment, of caring for animals. We are actually above those things, not to lord it over them, but as image bearers of God, humanity plays a special role. That's why I tell people all the time, I do not believe that you evolved from a monkey. I believe that you are special. I believe that you are special because you are created in the image and likeness of a holy, perfect, and loving God. So here we can read about God's creation of humanity in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to skip down here to verse uh, 26. So this is what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. These will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And then God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And then there was evening, and then there was morning, the sixth day. So here we have this account of God creating man in his image and in his likeness. And the relationship between God and humanity is perfect. See, God doesn't feel far God doesn't feel distant. God doesn't feel like he doesn't hear our prayers at that time because humanity's relationship with God was perfect, that there was no hostility between humanity and God. There was no alienation between God and humanity. There was peace and harmony. But then our spiritual enemy, the devil, shows up into that perfect environment where he causes humanity to sin, where he causes Adam and Eve to sin against God and break that harmony. And we can read about that in Genesis chapter 3, uh, starting down in verse 8. You know, so we read about the serpent, uh, sorry, at the beginning of chapter 3, tempts Eve, they tempts Adam, they eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God commanded them not to eat from it, and they do it. And then it says here in verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden on the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And then the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. It's kind of typical. We put the blame on other people. We never own up to our own mistakes. <laughs> we got to blame somebody else. seems like there's something about human nature where we got to play the victim. Or it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault that I'm now in this condition, that I'm the victim here. Adam's playing the victim. And he basically blames God. 
for his position now of being disobedient, of putting this distance between him and God. And so this is what breaks that harmony. This is what breaks that peace that humanity had with God. It was sin. When sin came in the world, it separates humanity from God. Where before there was peace and harmony, now there is hostility and alienation. There's hostility of mankind towards God. Who are you, God, to say I can't? Who are you, God, to say I have to live such and such a way? Who are you, God? And then there's God in his holiness who must deal with sin. He must judge sin. That's the state of humanity when it comes to the topic of reconciliation. And again, the big idea that we're looking at today is that you and I should be known as experts because you and I have been reconciled to God. And what does that mean? See, you and I, as fallen, sinful people, that alienation, that hostility that exists between us and God was dealt with when Jesus died on the cross. You see, God had to, had to deal with sin. God just can't ignore sin because he's holy, he's perfect, he's all loving, but he's also just. And so sin requires a punishment. And the Bible teaches us that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. The Bible also teaches us that without the spilling of blood, something that causes death, there can be no forgiveness of sin. But because God loves you so much, he doesn't require your blood to be spilled. He doesn't require your death. Out of his immense love for you, God died for you instead. You see, the Bible teaches us that God is a Trinity God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, kind of distinct, but one all at the same time. It's one of these great mysteries of the teachings of the Bible. It's one of these great mysteries about who God is. And it is the single difference between the Christian faith and every other faith in the world. See, Christians do not worship the same God as Muslims and as Jewish people. Christians do not worship the same God as any other religious organization or religious sect in the world because we believe in the Father who sent the Son and was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin. And God rose him from the dead in victory over sin and death. And the Bible teaches us that when you and I recognize that we have this bad relationship with God because of sin, when we recognize that the way we think, the way we act, the way we we behave, the way we treat people, the way we treat ourselves, all of these things are impacting our relationship with God. That's what alienates us from from him. When we turn from that sin and we say, God, forgive me, a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. 
When you pray a simple prayer just like that, the Bible then teaches us that we have become reconciled to God. You see, that alienation that we had from God is not there anymore because God, the Holy Spirit, comes into us in that moment and makes us new. That's when the Bible says you are born again. You're born again. You're made new. You're made a temple of the Most High God. Then it's, it, you know, the Bible says that, 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 that hostility between us and God is completely gone. In fact, the Bible teaches us that when you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus to save you of your sins, God sees your sin no more. You're not a dirty, rotten sinner. You are a saint. You are a beloved son and daughter. You are a child of God at that moment. That alienation and that hostility completely gone. We are restored to God in harmony and in peace. And you can receive that reconciliation right where you are today just by praying that little prayer that I just prayed. Just by saying, God, forgive me a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me today. God, I give you my heart. Come into me and make me new. If you pray that way, the Bible says you are now forgiven. And if you do that today, whether in church online, I would love if you click that little pop-up that shows up that says raise hand, fill out the little form that pops up afterwards so you can send me your email address because I'd love to connect with you. If you do that, you know, live in our in-person service that you've done that in your heart, come and tell me privately. I'm not going to show you off in front of everybody, but come talk to me after the service. I'd love to pray with you and celebrate with you for making that decision today. We are reconciled to God. And so because we have been reconciled to God, the church should be experts in reconciliation. The church should be experts in reconciliation. You see, in our movie, Colonel Shaw is an, uh, an, uh, he's against slavery. He, 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 he believes in it to the core of his being. He, he, some of his best friends growing up were both black and white. He believes in that constitution that his country made that all men are created equal. He believes that it's important to free families, men, women, and children who are still in the bondage of slavery in his own country. He makes it his mission to change the world around him. And as someone who believes this so passionately, then he kind of finds himself in situations where maybe he's not living like someone who believes what he believes there's an incredibly powerful scene in the movie where denzel washington's character a private trip um, sneaks away in the middle of the night and now trip was a former slave and he was very hostile towards um, the white leadership of the of the army he was very hostile towards the other black men who grew up in freedom and he took off in the middle of the night, and so he was charged with going AWOL, absence without leave. And he, Colonel Shaw ordered him to be flogged, to be whipped. And as Tripp's shirt was removed to be beaten and whipped, Colonel Shaw saw all the scars on his back that he received as a slave. And then Colonel Shaw found himself in this position of going, I'm not treating this man 
any better than the slave owners are. I'm not treating this man who is created equal before God just like I am. I'm treating him the same way that slavers treated him. And it wrecked him. And to be honest, it kind of wrecked me as I'm watching this scene play out. Because in the church, because we have been reconciled with God, the reason we should be experts in reconciliation is because we need to be reconciled to one another. You see, the church is the place where life gets really messy. (laughs) Church is supposed to be the place where we're real with one another, where we're not fake. We don't just put on a Sunday mask. Well, we wear Sunday masks when we're in person right now, but we're not fake. We're not putting on this fake mask, pretending to be somebody we're not, pretending our lives are all perfect and just living out our lives in complete secret. No, the church is supposed to be a place where we are figuring out reconciliation. Like, and the sad reality is, is all throughout church history, we have seen again and again and again, really bad examples where we have not been reconciled to one another, where we do not treat each other very nicely, where we do not speak of one another very nicely. In fact, our words can sometimes be incredibly harmful and cutting to other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, in the church family. I think some of the most powerful scenes in this movie, Glory, was the 51st Regiment, the 54th Regiment, trying to learn to be a fighting unit, trying to learn to be on mission together, that they're not They don't have different goals and different objectives as a unit. They've got one goal. They've got one objective to bring freedom to their country. But they were divided. They let their differences get in the way. Whites were still against blacks. Blacks were against blacks. There's this huge, large-scale goal that's going on around them of setting people free. But they just keep struggling with their own personal issues. Jesus spoke exactly about that issue when it came to his followers. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to verse 24, Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall, not commit, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Here Jesus is referring to the Ten Commandments. He's referring to the teachings of Moses. You've heard it said, You're not supposed to kill each other. Then it continues in verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, that's a horrible, horrible word. It's basically saying you're an idiot. You're a moron. You're despicable. I want nothing to do with you. When you say Raka, when you say that to another brother and sister, it says you are answerable to the courts. And anyone who says, you fool, you are in danger of the fire of hell. 
So Jesus continues, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go to be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. See, because you and I have been reconciled before God, we need to be experts, experts, at reconciling with one another. And it's hard. And it's messy. I mean, how often in your Christian life have you been mad at another Christian? How often in your Christian life have you spoken poorly about a pastor, about an elder, about a church leader, about a worship leader? How often... Have you on social media criticized and tore down another brother and sister in the Lord who are created in the image and likeness of God? I know I've done it. I know I've done it. And I've had to work hard to never do it again and to reconcile in the times I've done it. I'd gone to my former senior pastor where the first church I served at where I was an associate pastor and I went to visit him and I gave this several years after I'd I'd left that ministry and I brought him a gift to him and his wife and I apologized to them for the way I acted while I served under his leadership and I asked if he would forgive me. It was not easy. It was not comfortable. See, reconciliation is hard and it's messy. And sadly, I think in the Western church that we live in today, it is way too easy to not reconcile. We can go to another church down the road. We don't like what that pastor said. I leave. I don't like what my small group leader did. I leave. I don't like what this person did. I leave. And because the people who are left behind are just so busy just doing whatever they do, we don't even notice when people leave. I've said this a lot over the last five years here in our church family. I pray for the day where Greenbelt Church is an incredibly hard place to leave because we value reconciliation over our comfort, that we value reconciliation over our ease because reconciliation is hard work. But if you actually trust in the power of God to accomplish it, then God will do amazing things in our relationship The church should be known as experts in reconciliation because we've been reconciled to God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We go through ministry together in order to reconcile, to live out the one another statements that the Bible teaches us about. Because you and I have a great mission to accomplish. And God needs us to be reconciled with one another so that we can be this amazing fighting unit that God wants to use in the world. The church needs to get better at reconciliation. The church needs to learn how to have difficult, awkward conversations. We have to learn to be humble. We have to learn to be teachable because God has got great things ahead for us. See, the, 51st, the 54th Regiment had to learn to be a unit. 
They have to learn to be united. They have to learn to put aside their differences. They have to learn to put aside their prejudice because they were going on a much greater mission. Colonel Shaw learns about a major campaign that's going to take place, that they're going to try to secure a foothold in Charleston Harbor. And this will involve attacking a nearby fortress called Battery Wagner. And the fort's only landward approach is via a very small strip of beach with very little cover. And the first regiment that will storm that fortress will most likely suffer incredible, incredible loss. And Colonel Shaw volunteers to have the 54th lead that charge. And the men of the 54th, men who have personally experienced prejudice, personally experienced slavery, personally experienced judgment on them solely by the color of their skin, are eager to prove themselves in this battle. And the night before the battle, the men gather together. And you know what they do? They praise the Lord. They sing hymns of worship to their Savior, Jesus Christ. They share powerful testimony from the word of God. They, sh- they bear their hearts out to one another. They quote Psalms where though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. These men are willing to lay down their lives to see more people experience freedom. You see, the church needs to be known as experts in reconciliation because we've been reconciled to God. Therefore, we do the hard work in order to be reconciled with one another because we need to pursue reconciliation with those outside the church. The church's mission is a mission of reconciliation with those who are outside of the church. As the men of the 54th unit began their march at Battery Wagner, the other Union soldiers began to cheer for them. Even these men who were racist and prejudiced against them, these white men who didn't like them simply because they were black, were praising them and thanking them for their courage, thanking them for their willingness to lay down their lives. See, the Apostle Paul writes something very similar for you and for I, for us as the church. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That's that reconciliation that you have with God of turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who has no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, in our reconciliation with God, in the hard work of being reconciled to one another, God gives us the mission of reconciliation into the world. And this past year that we have watched on TV, this past year that some of us have personally experienced, whether through our families or through us directly, we have seen that there's a lot of work to be done when it comes to racial reconciliation. What started in this movie, Glory, was a great thing. In fact, when the 54th unit went out and stormed this fortress, more than 50% of the regiment lost their lives, including Colonel Shaw. And they were taken prisoner. And the Confederate army had vowed that any black soldier who was captured would not be treated as a prisoner of war. If they wore a Union uniform, they'd be executed. And if they fought without the uniform, they'd be put back into slavery. Yet they laid down their lives for the freedom of others. And even though they didn't win the battle, their courage, their courage caused 180,000 other black men to sign up to fight in the Union Army. And Abraham Lincoln himself credits those men who died on that night as the tipping point that allowed the Union Army to win and bring an end to slavery in the United States. A great starting point, but still so much work to be done. See, I've come to believe that it's not government's mandate to see humanity reconciled. (laughs) It's not a political party's mandate to see humanity reconciled. I believe it's the mandate of the church. It's our job. It's our mission because we have been reconciled to God. The Bible teaches us that our sin made us an enemy of God. And because of God's love, (laughs) that we are no longer enemies. We're children of God. And because we are no longer enemies, we don't see people outside there as our enemy. We don't see people from different ethnic groups and different colors and different social backgrounds and different um, paychecks and pay scales and lifestyles. They're not the enemy. They're the prize. They're the people that Jesus died for. And it's the church's call to be ambassadors of Christ, to bring reconciliation to the world. No government's ever going to accomplish that, ever, because it's our job. What are we doing? How are we praying? How are we laying down our comforts and having awkward and difficult conversations? How are we standing in the gap 
and praying prayers of forgiveness um, for sins we may not have personally done. And I know that can be a challenge for us as a church. It's like, well, why should I ask for forgiveness? I didn't do anything. Why should I pray for forgiveness? I wasn't the one who did it. Well, you know what? We actually see many, 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 many examples in the Bible of people praying for the sin of other people who didn't commit the sin. It happens again and again. King David did it. Isaiah did it. Daniel did it. Jesus does it. That we stand in the gap. That's called the prayer of intercession. That we pray for forgiveness because of the sin of other people. Here in Canada, dealing with the residential schools, we need to seek God's forgiveness. That that's a part of the history of the church. We need to seek forgiveness from those who are still suffering from that. For families and friends who might still be suffering because of the murder of George Floyd, we need to reconcile there. We need to pray that God would move in his church in supernatural ways to see the church reconciled with one another. You know, there's no white church, no black church, no Hispanic church, no Chinese church. There's only the church. (laughs) It's the church. One bride of Christ, one family. So we got to roll up our sleeves and figure this out. The very final scene in the movie Glory shows a mass grave. And in the mass grave, Colonel Shaw is dumped into this mass grave, a man who believed to the core of his being on the importance of bringing freedom to his country. And then thrown right on top of him was Private Tripp, a man who was a slave, a man who struggled in following the commandments of his white colonel. And at the end of that battle, before Tripp died, he picked up that American flag and he continued the mission when he saw Colonel Shaw die. (laughs) Because the mission is bigger than all of us. The mission of seeing the world reconciled to God is bigger than all of us. So we lay down our lives for God's mission. We turn to God. Kind of application for this message, it's going to be different for every single one of us. First and foremost, ensure you are reconciled to God. I don't want you to just be some church person. I don't want you just to be someone who believes in God, who believes in Jesus or have heard of Jesus. I want you to be surrendered to God, surrendered to Jesus, turning from your sin and turning to Christ. That is how you earn, receive that reconciliation. And then when you do that, we have to do the hard work. And it's kind of nice that we can practice that in the context of the church of relationships that we didn't do a good job with, or we just kind of ran from certain relationships, not wanting to have difficult conversations. We need to reconcile with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The church, our church, should be a very hard place to leave. We don't just let people disappear in the night because we're going to do the hard work to reconcile our relationship. And then as we reconcile with one another, then we get involved with the issues that the world is facing. You see, the world will know the love of God 
when they see reconciliation in us. When we can stand in the gap and ask for forgiveness. When we can pray prayers of repentance. When we can restore and build trust and come alongside people again. The world will notice that. So it's going to look different in all of our lives. But I think we will see incredible glory when we submit to God's plan of reconciliation in our church, in our nation, and in our world. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you. I thank you. And Lord, I praise you for just the way you've challenged me this past year to look beyond myself, to look beyond my understanding of the world, and to see it through different eyes, to try as much as I can in my own humanity to see the world through your eyes. A world that is so much better today than it was several hundred years ago, but still a world that's hurting, still a world that is broken, still a world that needs the love of God and needs to know the love of God from the people of God. God, you've not sent us into the world to judge it and to condemn it and to keep it trapped in the bondage of slavery. You have called us to be ambassadors of Christ, to bring a message of reconciliation where they too can be set free. They can be set free from their pain, set free from their sin. They can be set free from their hurt. And we can be reconciled together as a new humanity under the banner of Jesus, under the lordship of God Almighty. All men, all women created equal because all of us are created in the image and likeness of a holy, righteous God. So God, give us patience, give us humility, give us a teachable heart to see your will to be done in our lives, in our church. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.